Welcome to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. Good morning. My name is Ruth. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, Senior pastor Brian Ingraham is away on holiday in America just now. So I am excited to get to be here and share with you this morning. Uh, Welcome to Rehope, the heat wave edition. Don't you love Glasgow at 30 degrees? Like, I was so happy this this week. I decided, um, you know, you know your favorite things in life. I'm like, okay, my favorite color is blue. My favorite animals are cats. My favorite temperature is 30 degrees. I was like, this is the best. This doesn't get any better. No, No more, no less. This is exactly what I want it to be. And that might be because, uh, fun fact about me, my, my husband and I, Todd, we met in Hawaii 13 years ago. And Hawaii, the Hawaiian Islands, they, they tend to hover around about 30 degrees, like not too much more, not too much less. And, and so I think I just associate this temperature with like, this is a good place to be. <laughs> this is where I want to be for a long time. So thank you, Glasgow. You're beautiful this week. Uh, if you're visiting with us from out of town, welcome. This is what summer's like here. Like, it's always like this. We love it. I went to Edinburgh yesterday. It was freezing. Don't go there. (laughs) Like, this is where it's at. So, yeah, I'm thankful for this hot weather. Uh, Speaking of Hawaii, I'm actually going to share with you some images of of what's going on in Hawaii as part of my message. So it's convenient that we've got the setting to remind us of of that place. If you're streaming or if you're listening to this on the podcast, you won't see these images. So I would encourage you to get out your phone and Google Leilani Estates, Big Island, Hawaii. You spell that L-E-I-L-A-N-I space estates. When you look up Google images, you're going to see something pretty shocking and pretty amazing. Have I got a picture up there already? Um, Okay, this is a volcano. Right now in the Big Island of Hawaii, this volcano has split the ground Lava is bursting uh, over, over onto the ground and consuming people's homes and lives. Just totally crazy. Let me talk you through the timeline of what's just happened there. So Monday the 30th of April uh, was a sunny day in Scotland. I was at Beth and Heath's wedding. Uh, meanwhile, in Hawaii, the, the floor of this, create, this crater in the volcano uh, completely collapsed. So the lava went gushing down within the volcano. I think in the crater here, the lava used to be full to the very top and overflowing, and this is it fallen down. And it then surged under these underground lava tubes, uh, 10 miles underground all the way, so that it was underneath like a residential area where people lived. That was the 30th of April. On Wednesday the 2nd of May, cracks appeared in the road and there started to be evidence that something was going on underground Uh, and and people were worried and concerned but at this point thought you know it's just shifts in the earth nothing too much to worry about until Friday the 4th of May more earthquakes were happening with the movement under the ground Uh, another part of the floor of the crater collapsed more lava came gushing through and not only were there more cracks appearing in the ground but this steam this vapor started just like coming up through the ground all over the place And at this point, people who lived in this area were thinking, oh no, this isn't good. (laughs) So they packed up their cars with as much as they could get, thinking that they would have enough time to uh, move a lot of their possessions to somewhere safe until they they waited to see what happened. But actually, most people who filled their cars that day never came back to their homes and have lost a lot of their stuff since then. 
This has continued over the course of of the next month. Uh, Not only did the cracks burst open, but lava came spewing out. There were some lava fountains that are about 250 foot in the air. And what went from cracks in the ground to um, became a lake of, of lava completely consuming and and destroying people's homes. And then that lake became like a river that flowed downhill over the course of a month. And by the beginning of June, so a month after all this started, uh, the lava stream made its way all the way down to the ocean. Have we got more pictures? Yes, you can see here people's houses and just lava exploding out and consuming. And by June, it hit the, the beach. And those of you here who, like me, have watched Moana a lot, uh, we'll know that when lava hits the water, it goes from being this like red, hot stuff to this really sharp, black, solid rock. And so when you imagine a whole river of lava just like spewing into the ocean, it's actually creating new land. So the island, the big island of Hawaii right now is changing in its shape, in its surface area, but um, also this, just this whole new bit of land is being created as the lava spills out and hits the water and, and changes the shape of the island. So in the last two months, 700 homes have been destroyed, $14 million worth of farming operations have been destroyed, and this one event, lives of thousands of people have been completely changed forever. And I've been completely gripped to the news, to social media on on pictures and images and, and news of what's been happening next on this island. Uh, Firstly, because my heart goes out to them, like, I just really feel for those people who've lost everything in this disaster. But also, this has been one of those natural disasters, one of those current affairs that I think God has been teaching me a lot through. And so that's actually what I'm going to be sharing with you today, is what God's been teaching me, what truth he's been teaching me through this event that's going on right now. It reminds me of Matthew 7. Listen to this. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the wind blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell. The rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Which basically means build your life on Jesus' ways and you will be safe and secure, right? I know for a lot of us Christians here, it hasn't always felt like life has really panned out like that. Sometimes you had no idea that the volcano that that was peacefully living up the road from you was going to collapse on the inside of it, surging lava all the way down to your area where you would just have to grab your stuff and flee and never go home again. That is literally going on in Hawaii right now, but I'm sure there's many of us here who feel like that is a bit of a metaphor for your life and what's going on with you personally right now. Because life is ever-changing. It's, it's often unpredictable, and we really need something firm to lay our foundations in. One fact I can guarantee about a life following Jesus, the storms will come. Not to freak you out, but this is just the world 
that we are living in. And Jesus says this, Jesus acknowledges this in, in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And I know many of you here are experiencing suffering right now. Some of you are struggling with health issues. Some of you are caring for people who you love, who are unwell and need looked after. I know people in this church who have lost babies this year. I know people who have lost their jobs, people who are looking for work and not, not finding anything. I know people who are stuck in mental health issues and, and are trying to get out and just feel stuck. Like if you come here from time to time and look around this room, you might think this church looks like the kind of place that is full of people who are very talented and creative and who love God and have high faith and uh, only wear one color at a time. But in reality, like stick around here for a bit and you will see this church is full of people who are genuinely struggling with some stuff that's really hard. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the wind blew and pounded that house, says Jesus. And I know that good changes can, can be painful as well. Like, for example, if your best friend gets married, then you are excited for your best friend. You celebrate their wedding, you're happy for them. But by definition of what's going on, the thing that you are celebrating means that you lose your best friend because your best friend just chose another best friend. And that's painful. Or last week, Brian shared vision of how uh, we at Rehope here, we have a vision to expand our church and plan other Rehope campuses, not just in Belfast, but in Glasgow as well. And right now, we're pursuing uh, trying to plant a campus on the south side. If you want to hear more about that, you can catch up on Brian's message from last week. Uh, but that's exciting. It's a good vision. We're really excited about the thought of what God might do through this. But inevitably, it's going to bring some pain to us here if we follow through with this. Because there's going to be people here in this congregation who we know and we love, and they're going to go over there to help with the Southside plant. And there's going to be a lack here, and we're going to miss them. And, and there's going to be some change, and that, that's going to be uncomfortable. I know a lot of people in this church right now, God is calling on to their next venture. And that is exciting, but it's not all easy. Like, if you're someone who God has called on and you're pursuing your next, I know you're going to, even though you're excited about what's next, you're going to grieve what you're leaving here. And if you're not the one that's going, you're going to be grieving the fact that people you love are leaving here and moving on to their next, and you're still here. All these things, they're good, but, but changes, uh, they've got consequences good and bad. And this is why we need to keep our eyes fixed on the one who will not change, who will not let us down, and who will never leave us or forsake us. And that's Jesus. So what is his perspective on our sufferings? To quote Pablo Picasso, he says, every act of creation is first an act of destruction. And to go with this, I want to watch another video of, of Hawaii. Have we got this up here? Um, I'll just let this play while I talk. So this is lava creeping up and consuming someone's car. And we see here the shocking image of what was once order and, and you know, a smooth road and someone's car and their ability of how they get about their life. 
is now just being slowly consumed by the power of this lava that will not be stopped and is going to completely ruin everything in its path. And it's in times of loss that I think it is natural and it is normal to, to have our attention drawn to like what has been lost, what has been destroyed, what is the horror of this event with this like ugly, black, fiery rock just consuming and destroying everything there. And in life it is normal and it is good to spend a bit of time in shock and, and just taking in like how bad is this event? How painful are these things? How unfair and unjust is the situation that I'm going through? It is shocking. We can look at that. We can think about that. But a certain point as well to, to move through the grief process in traumatic events healthily. We need to also be able to look ahead to like what is being gained through this destruction. What can be made out of it? I find it interesting that the Hawaiian islands in their entirety would not exist if it weren't for literally this physical thing going on. Like Hawaii, the islands are made out of the fact that the, the earth cracked and that lava came spewing out and formed this solid rock that over the, over the course of many, many years um, solidified, became, became land and then grew life and life in abundance. And now Hawaii is very famous for being this beautiful paradise. And so God does this. In, in the natural. He uses destruction and, and, and chaos to then actually build a foundation that becomes something beautiful. And I think he does that not just in the natural, but actually in our lives as well, actually in us personally and what we're going through. He brings beauty from ashes, says Isaiah 61. He uses trials and testings to make us as pure as gold. That's what it says in the Bible. Isaiah 38 says, look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. If you're being afflicted right now, maybe God wants to create something shiny and new in you in the midst of it. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants us to be mature, and that is why he tests us. I don't think God is always happy with the chaos and the destruction that we live through. I think his heart breaks for us. I think he has great compassion on us. But sometimes I also think he lets it happen because he knows that through this process, we are going to gain something that we couldn't have gained otherwise, and he wants us to be complete. He wants us to be mature. So if you're suffering right now, don't view yourself as weak. Like, there is hard stuff going on in there, and, and can I remind you that God believes in you, and no matter how unjust your situation is, maybe he wants to create in you something new. Sometimes we don't realize that we were lacking and that we needed God uh, until we are put in that testing moment. And it's the same with the house analogy. Like sometimes you don't do the repair work on your house until a storm comes and reveals, oh, actually, like this structure is not as strong as we thought it was. We need to do some work on the roof. We need to fix the windows, something like that. Uh, and that's something that Todd and I have certainly experienced in the last few years. Uh, we used to think that we were doing pretty well <laughs> and had pretty solid uh, structures and foundations. 
you know, like we were strong, uh, we were growing and thriving spiritually with God, we were happy, things were going well, and then we had kids, <laughs> and I don't want to curse having kids, I love having kids, I love my kids, I would definitely recommend you have kids, I think they're great, but I'm the kind of person that needs like at least nine hours of sleep at night uninterrupted to even feel awake enough to have breakfast. So going through a season where um, our daughter Ayla didn't sleep through the night for a year and a half, when I say didn't sleep through the night, I mean she woke up every two hours, and then even between those two hour chunks was just screaming and crying for like a year and a half. And I love my mum friends who just seem to have the capacity to cope with life like that, but I wasn't one of those mums. Like, (laughs) I just could not cope with that for a year and a half. And so in that season of exhaustion and sleeplessness, it's like, all the worst sides of us came out. And, and we found ourselves in a, I don't know, we got to a point where we were looking at all the different areas of our life and we we're like, are any of these things going well right now? Like, no. Like financially, we've made stupid decisions. We've, we've got into debt. Um, physically, we're not looking after ourselves. We're eating rubbish. We're not exercising. Relationally, we're just tearing each other apart rather than building each other up. And then spiritually, like I really struggled with the fact that like, before I had kids, I was the kind of person that actually would read the Bible loads and actually did spend a lot of time in prayer. And like, I really loved spending time with God. But then when you've suddenly got a baby that you have to look after all the time, like you don't get uninterrupted times of prayer. And anytime you do get time to read the Bible, you're far too, too tired and you fall asleep in the middle of it. So I really struggled to connect with God in that season. But it was in that season that I think the desperateness of how I felt about life pushed me in a direction with God that I wouldn't have gone to in normal life. And the two things I grew in in that time were fasting with prayer and understanding my dreams. So fasting, I always believed that uh, prayer and fasting together are a powerful combination, but I never used to do it because, you know, I like food. I don't like being hungry. But I think there's something about being so desperate to spend time with God and not actually getting to spend any time with God that I thought, okay, I'm going to fast every Tuesday so that even if I don't have a solid time to sit down and pray and spend time with God, at least I'll be hungry throughout the day and my hunger will remind me, oh Ruth, you're meant to be praying. And then I might actually pray and then I might actually have some sort of connection with God. It maybe sounds daft, but it actually worked. Like, I did spend a lot more time with God and then I saw him answering my prayers and then my faith went up and then that was encouraging. And then dreams. Um, I've always had dreams. I never used to understand them. I used to believe that if God really needed me to understand them, then he would tell me, and I didn't know what they meant, so I just left them there. But in this time of of being so desperate, I was dreaming all the time. And so I, I made it my personal mission to figure out, like, how can we understand God in our dreams? And I read books on biblical dream interpretation. I like studied the scripture, uh, scriptures for examples of where has God spoken to people through dreams and what can I learn from these cases in the Bible? And I prayed loads and I tried loads and, and I actually started to understand what God was saying to me in my dreams, which has been life-changing for me. And I always joked then that I was like, God speaks to me in my dreams because he knows I don't have time to listen to him during the day, uh, which was a joke, but also kind of true. Like my life was so chaotic then that I really could hear from him most clearly when I was asleep in those very small chunks because disturbed a lot. But yeah, there, there was one time I remember in March two years ago, I was at one of those like lowest moments when you're looking around and just thinking everything's in pieces and I'm not doing well at anything and I'm not happy. Like I'm just going to fast and pray and ask for God's help because I don't know what to do next. And so I fasted for five days 
And in those five days, every single night I had a dream. And the dream involved some sort of scene that was different every night, but some sort of scene where I was standing in somewhere that was really dark. And then we'd step into a scene that was full of light and brightness. And at the time, I didn't really know how to understand dreams, really. But at least what I got from that in those five days was I was like, God sees that I am standing in what feels like darkness right now. And I think he's saying he's going to lead me into the light and it won't always be like this. Which is actually what's happened since then. I'm in a much brighter place now. And in one of those nights, I had a dream where I was uh, in, it was actually in my kids' room with my kids, and it was completely dark, and the curtains were closed. And I pulled open the curtains, and we stepped out of uh, the window into what would be in real life the back garden. But in this dream, uh, it was like a Southeast Asian beach, and there was this like gorgeous blue tide coming in and out, and like gorgeous white sands, and it was amazing. And, and I remember just looking and taking in this scene and how wonderful it was. And in the dream I turned and I saw uh, what was like a, a big, tall, like telegraph pole or something, some sort of big metal structure. And in the dream I remember thinking, okay, so for something that tall and that strong to be situated here on a beach, like its foundations must go so deep below the ground that even when the tide comes in and out, it's standing strong. And when I woke up, I, I, I just had this sense from God that um, he was saying, Ruth, I am building in you in this time a structure that is going to be strong enough so that when the winds and the waves and the, the tide comes in and out, and when you're standing on shaky ground, you'll be so deeply and firmly rooted in me that firstly, you won't get knocked over. And secondly, you'll actually get to stand and enjoy the setting in its changes, in its, in its shakiness. And you'll get a lot of life out of that. And that has actually been what's going on in the last couple of years. I don't feel like I'm quite there yet, um, but it's like bit by bit, um, Todd and I have been rebuilding. We've been sharing a lot about this, even in share time, just like the ways God has helped us get out of debt. Um, he's helped us spiritually find new life in him in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and then, yeah, even just relationally as well, being able to, to build each other up again from a place that we are receiving from God and bringing that to each other. Jesus says... We need to be people who build our house on the rock. Sometimes you need a desperate situation to force you to actually pursue that. That was my story anyway. So who is the rock? The answer is it's Jesus. It's not prayer. It's not church. It's not your friends who you can trust. It's Jesus who's the rock. And any of those things, they are good and they are great when they're pointing you towards Jesus, but actually they are not 100% reliable in themselves. Jesus is the only one who will actually never let you down. Pete Gregg in Dirty Glory says this, the vision is Jesus, dangerously, obsessively, undeniably Jesus. I don't pray because I'm into prayer, I pray because I'm into Jesus, so we talk. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of Jesus, so I ask for his help a lot. I'm not into worship. I'm into Jesus. So when I see him, I smile, I bow, and okay, I sing a lot too. The vision is Jesus, not Christianity, not prayer, mission, or justice, not worship leading or church planting or evangelism. If you love Jesus, you will do that stuff. You'll pray and worship and go to church and preach the gospel. But in doing all those things, don't lose the why. Don't get lost in the crowd. 
So can I suggest this? If you have areas of collapse in your life right now, and you're frustrated that your church life is not helping you to rebuild, ask yourself this, am I building my life on Jesus? Or am I trying to build my life on on church and on what people say? Am I building my life on my friends, on my job security? Or am I going straight to him and actually getting time to sit and talk to him and pray? Spend time in the Bible reading it for yourself and asking him to speak to you through it. A lot of people say the local church is the hope of the world. And I actually, I have the same heart as those people and I I agree with what I think they're really saying there. But sometimes I find that phrase is unhelpful because when you say the local church is the hope of the world, what happens when the church fails you and lets you down? The church isn't the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And we are his body. We are the vehicle that he uses to bring his hope. I always think it's kind of like being stuck in an evil part of Gotham City and being like, oh, I hope the Batmobile comes. It's like, you don't want the Batmobile, you want Batman. And that's just how he comes. And it's like that with the church. Like, put your hope in Jesus. And maybe he's going to meet you through the church. And I hope he does. I really hope he does here. But when that's not strong enough to hold you back, like, run to him, run to him. If you've not made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, then I would encourage you, spend some time figuring out who he is. Like, keep coming here, observe, listen, uh, ask questions, think about what we're talking about here. Uh, Read the Bible for yourself and decide, do I actually think this is true? And talk to some people about this. Join an Alpha course. Those are really good for exploring the questions. And if you are a Christian, if you've decided to follow him, I'd encourage you to ask, ask yourself this, like, is Jesus actually your rock? Or is it the stuff that's meant to point you to Jesus? that you're trying to build your life on. And following Jesus, I can't guarantee that everything is going to be easy and fun, but I can guarantee that if you, one, hear what he says, and two, act on that, then he is going to build in you a structure that is strong enough to cling on to in hard times. And he's the only one that you really, truly can hold on to in times like that. Could it be that there's some of the structures that he's used in your life in a previous season right now are letting you down because God wants to show you where he is beneath those and he wants you to go to him directly. He wants to mature you. He wants you to bring, to, bring you to a place of being complete and lacking in nothing. That's certainly what me and Todd have been feeling in the last couple of years, having to run to him personally. Jesus puts it really simply in this parable, hear these words of mine and act on them, and you will be like a sensible man who builds his house on the rock. So we need to talk about what it really is to make Jesus Lord of your life. As Christians, I think we would all say that Jesus is Lord of our life, but I think our Christian culture sometimes makes a bigger deal about Jesus being our Savior than being our Lord, and we actually need both. So what do I mean by that? Uh, Jesus is our savior, like he died for our sins. Uh, Because of what he has done, we are set free. We we will have eternity with him in heaven if we choose to follow him. And that is great, and that is true, and he did that once for us, and that then applies to our life if we follow him. But in making Jesus our Lord, that is a commitment we need to continue to make in every phase of our life, no matter what life throws at us. The word savior appears in the New Testament 24 times. 
to describe Jesus. Um, can anyone guess how many times the word Lord comes up? If Savior comes up 24 times, how much is Jesus described as Lord? Any guesses? 40. Any other guesses? So people are guessing at least double. Okay, 722. Like, it is a much bigger deal in the New Testament that Jesus is Lord than that he's Savior. And whenever it says that he's our Lord and Savior, it says Lord first and Savior second. Thank you, Donna Jordan, for teaching me that. I've never forgotten it. So this is where we need to take this seriously. Like, are we the kind of Christians who are just like, Jesus died for me, I'm saved? Or are we like, no, he is my Lord. I am following him. I'm making choices based on what he says. On earth, uh, when, you make, when you submit yourself to an earthly ruler, either things are going to be, be great because they're a great leader, or maybe they're going to be someone that's not great and your life's going to become really restricted and difficult and you're going to be lacking and you're going to be constrained. But it's not actually like that when we put our hands our life in the hands of a God who is gracious and loving. Like choosing to say, I will follow him no matter what he says. He is going to lead you to a life of abundance and fullness because he loves you. And that even applies when he asks us to do things that cost us something. Like maybe he wants you to give away money to someone who needs it. Maybe he wants more of your time. Maybe he wants you to leave the people that you love to do something for him. Aren't we all thankful for Brian and Kelly and how they moved away from their, their family uh, years ago? They left Seattle, they left here with um, what, a one-year-old and a two-year-old and started this church here. And I'm sure most of us here would say that God has really used this church to draw us closer to him. We're thankful for people who've been willing to surrender, to follow Jesus. And if you're not willing to do what he says to surrender something in your life, I think all of us are not willing to always surrender something to Jesus, right? Like, we're people. We are real. We find it difficult. We all come across those moments where we're like, Jesus, that is just too much. I don't think I can do that. But what we need to do is we need to run to him with those struggles. Like, look at Moses. He's like, God, I don't think I have the confidence to be someone who speaks in front of people and who leads people. So God's like, okay, here's Aaron. He'll help you. He'll speak for you. If Jesus is asking you to do something you don't think you can do, don't just not do it. Go and talk to him about it. Ask him for help. Ask him for uh, a way that you can move forward because he is good and he loves you and he sees your capacities. One last thought as I finish up. Something I've noticed as I've been scrolling through the um, Hawaii Leilani Estates Instagram and social media things. Uh, a lot of the local Hawaiian people, they believe in the god Pele, who is the god of, of like fire, and supposedly she lives in the volcano. I don't believe that Pele is god, I believe that Yahweh is god. Um, but listen to this quote, I thought it was so interesting. It says, Pele is reclaiming her land. We never owned it, we borrowed it from her. And it reminds me of something that God actually says in the Bible. Listen to this. Don't collect for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What this means is don't go through this life thinking like, this is it. Like, this stuff is the best stuff I could possibly have ever. Or what I'm doing and what people think of me is, like, the best that I will ever be respected. Like, we have not yet arrived 
at the best bit. We're actually in the middle bit. What do I mean by that? Okay, there's the beginning bit where God created people. He created us to be in relationship with him. And that was good and that was great, but then we rebelled. We, we did a lot of evil things and, and a good and holy and perfect God could only be so close to people who were very not good and holy. And that's why he sent Jesus uh, to, to die for our sins, to pay the cost for all our sin because sin is evil and something needed to be done about that. So then we could have a relationship with God, not because we deserve it, but just because he loves us and he wants us. And we look forward to that future day where if we have given our lives to Jesus, either we are going to die and we're going to end up in heaven with him for eternity where there's no crying and there's no sickness and it's all great and we're with God all the time. Or maybe that's not going to happen. Maybe we're going to be on earth when Jesus comes back and redeems the earth. But right now we're still in the middle bit. We're not at the best bit yet. We're looking forward to the best bit. I really learned this, uh, this thought when I was uh, spending some time in northern Thailand in 2006. Um, I think I've got a picture of where I was. Okay, so I was on a part of the map, in, in a village that's not actually technically on the map in northern Thailand. Um, and th this river here is the river that divides Myanmar on this side and Thailand on this side. And I was working with a group of people called the Karen people, and they are a Christian people group uh, originally from Myanmar, uh, but who in this context had, had actually fled a lot of physical persecution to settle on, on the Thailand side up here in the hills. And getting to know these people, like you could physically see that they have been afflicted and oppressed for their faith in Jesus. Like this guy here, um, I don't know how clearly you can see, he's actually missing an arm. And a lot of them were missing limbs because they literally ran across fields of landmines to escape the persecution and get to a place of freedom. So these people that I was hanging out with as a 18-year-old gap year person um, knew far more about what it is to suffer for Christ and to really live for him than I could possibly have known at that time. But yet, I have never met people in my life to this day who have expressed as much joy and freedom and the ability just to take life a bit lightly. Like, uh, for example, we would hang out with them and they'd be like, oh, we want to do a dance. But they didn't mean like, let's all get up and have a dance party. Like one person would stand up and just start dancing and everyone would watch. And they weren't good. Like they were really bad and it was really cringy and we were trying so hard not to wet ourselves laughing. But they would do that, and then they'd be like, oh, this person's going to sing a song, and they'd get up and sing a song, and it was so out of tune, and it was so bad. And again, we were just trying to like, not laugh in front of them. But then they would turn to us and be like, Ruth, Ruth, why don't you sing special song from your country? And I'd be like, no, I don't sing special song. You can talk to Ben, who plays guitar and can actually sing. Like, I'm not from an arts team. Like, I don't do that. And I think it was so funny to me that these people, like, they just knew how to have fun. They didn't care if they were good at singing and dancing. They just sang and they danced because they were having a good time. And they thought we were weird that we were so uptight about it and didn't want to look weird. And I think that, yeah, okay, so one day um, I climbed up a hill with my friend Lancy and we ended up on, on the top of this hill and found what we found out later was a prayer hut looking out over Myanmar. And on a tree there was nailed this sign. It says, for me to live is Christ." And that is a part of um, the Bible. It's from Philippians. And the rest of that verse says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And in this bit, God, or Paul is talking about how 
It would be better if we were dead and in heaven with Jesus having a good time. But living here on the earth, uh, we are in this middle bit where we have the opportunity to bring God's love and for other people to know him. And it is hard and it is hard work. But we are looking forward to the really good bit that is yet to come. And I saw this up at their prayer house and thought, yeah, these people literally get that. Who am I to come to them as a missionary? Talk to them about God's love. And I think we could all benefit a bit from having this perspective. Maybe we need to hold our lives a little bit more open-handedly to Jesus and what he might want to do while we're in this bit. It's kind of like, I don't know how familiar you are with Buddhism and Eastern philosophies. It's kind of like that, but entirely opposite. I'll tell you how. So in Buddhism, the, the, the thought is that all suffering is a result of attachment. And we only suffer in life because we've attached ourselves to things. And so then the goal in all of their, their practices and their disciplines and things is to detach yourself from anything and kind of make, realize that you're actually nothingness. You're not attached to anything. And, and in that place, you will find enlightenment and freedom. It's all about emptying yourself. But in Christianity, it's the opposite. It's like, surrender your life to Jesus. Give up what he asks you to give up so that he can fill you with so much more. Make him your master and he will lead you to a life of abundance, of joy, of freedom, and we will gain so much in him. Philippians 3, 7 says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. So if you want to gain more of Christ in your life, you just need to ask God, God, what do you want me to let go of so that I'll have some more space to meet with you? Hear what he says, act on it. Even if you need to go back and forth in a conversation with God about how ready you are to act on it, act on it and he'll make you strong he'll be strong enough to cling on to and you may choose in this life not to surrender very much to Jesus uh, that is up to you he's not going to force you to do anything and, and if you've given your life to him uh, you will be saved you will have that future day with him in heaven for sure but the more that we are willing to surrender to him now the more we are actually going to experience him on this side of eternity, the more we're going to hear his voice and know his love, the more we're going to know him as our overcomer who can get us through the storms of life, and the more joy and freedom and fun we'll probably have with that here on earth. Let's not be people who miss out on the riches of relationship that we could have in Jesus at this point. 